right, well, today's passage is a great one because it gets to a, a major part of who we are to be as citizens of God's donkey kingdom. Uh, but before I get to the passage, I think it's time for a little openness, a little honesty from your pastor. So I want to model integrity and honesty with everyone, so it's, it's confession time. So I confess to you all this morning that I once ate a whole box of Reese's Peanut Butter Puff cereal in one sitting. <laughs> it's not something that I'm proud of. I was in high school, I made a lot of dumb decisions back then. But there was a marathon of the Wonder Years on that evening, and it, it was gone before I realized. I, time flies. I also confess to you this morning that even though it has been explained to me countless times, I still couldn't exactly tell you what John means. What John is, J-A-W-N. I, I think it's a noun. I think it's a verb. Somebody used it in a sentence in my own home a few days ago, and they didn't know what it meant. I, I, he, just, he just used that, John. Caden, wow. He's getting it. I think maybe I, if I can successfully use it in a sentence, I'll be considered a local, I guess. One more thing to confess to you all, and this gets a little bit more toward what we're going to be talking about this morning. I have trouble personally with follow-up. Honestly, I, I have, when I have a meeting with our leadership team or, or with our staff, oftentimes I will have trouble following up on the action items that I took or were assigned to me. Or when Andrea asks me to call to get the car into the shop, sometimes that ends up being her. <clears throat> or any other task in the house. Uh, you know, so, sometimes my feet just kind of have to be held to the fire a little bit to get me to take, you know, the, the next steps on things. Sometimes I do all right. You know, sometimes I, I really do, do fine, but sometimes I, I really don't. Um, I'll take, you know, I'll take on an assignment and then I'll procrastinate or I'll forget about it. Uh, it's not good. Uh, my, my commitments get undone or pushed back because of my inability to follow up sometimes. Well, today we are talking about commitments. And Jesus gets to this idea in our passage for today from the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which we're calling Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto, or what some of us call the Sermon on the Mount, of course. A week before he was arrested, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and this showed the kind of king that he was going to be and the kind of kingdom that he was bringing. According to the prophet Zechariah, our donkey Messiah is one of righteousness and victory and lowliness. And his kingdom is to reflect that. Our victory is assured, but worldly power, status, and strength is not. We have a donkey Messiah who points us to the donkey kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is where we hear directly from Jesus about life in his kingdom. What's important, what matters, how we're supposed to live in this kingdom, all that kind of stuff. It's his manifesto. And the passages today can be really difficult ones. So, yay. Let's dig into it. <clears throat> Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that uh, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, "Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made." But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right, nice and easy this morning. Some softballs, no, no problem. So let's dive into this first section, right? Verses 31 to 32. What in the world is Jesus getting at here with his teaching on divorce? Well, let me first touch on verse 31, this certificate of divorce thing. Uh, this sounds pretty run-of-the-mill to us today, right? There's always papers being filed when it comes to a divorce. Uh, but verse 31 here is referring back to a law from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, and in that law, a certificate is referenced. Uh, and this was actually, this certificate was actually for the protection of the woman. Oftentimes, uh, men in fits of rage or anger would divorce their wives for completely frivolous reasons. And then when cooler heads prevailed, they would take them back and the situation would be kind of worse than it, it started off. Having a certificate would have meant that he couldn't just go and take her back. She had a paper that said he, she was free of that person. So there's that. <clears throat> but the Deuteronomy passage where this law is referenced from, uh, and then this passage in Matthew, give us some details about divorce that are interesting and, if I'm being honest, a little confusing. <laughs> so uh, let's read this passage from Deuteronomy, um, where the, the law that was being referenced here. Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. See? Clear as mud. So we've got that passage. Then we've got this passage here in Matthew. And then we've got other references to divorce elsewhere in Scripture. Now, it is important to uh, get into the nitty-gritty of Scripture to understand what is going on in certain places. Uh, but here's the thing with these divorce passages, and I'm going to try to be delicate here. <clears throat> we can spend so much time trying to find what makes divorce okay and what doesn't that we miss the fact that God doesn't want it in the first place. We dig really deep trying to define exactly what sexual immorality is. Try to find that line that we can bump up against. What, what circumstances have to exist for remarriage to be considered adultery? How exactly is adultery defined here? What are biblical grounds for divorce? And then we miss the bigger idea that divorce is not what God wants at all. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Sexual immorality, as it's listed here in Matthew, uh, does not compel divorce. Right? It, could, it could simply be a reason. 
There are countless marriages that uh, even now that have survived and even thrived after sexual immorality has occurred, if reconciliation has taken place. We spend so much time thinking about what the acceptable grounds for divorce are and miss that our commitment is to be unwavering. Now, are there times when divorce may be the best option? Well, I will grant that perhaps there are those times. Um, abusive situations should never persist. But even there, reconciliation or a making right of the relationship should still be sought out. But if there is danger for one party, they should, of course, first get to a place of safety so that those conversations can even happen. Sometimes it will not be possible to reconcile. But we fight for that until all options and hope are lost because our commitment before the eyes of God and as kingdom citizens matters. In Genesis and later repeated in the New Testament, when we unite with our spouse, we are to be one flesh, united, indivisible. This exception, as it is sometimes called, of sexual immorality was actually a restriction from Jesus. Right? Divorces were being granted for almost any reason at this time. And so Jesus wasn't necessarily giving a way out here. He was restricting the reasons because he values marriages so highly. Now I know that we have people in our own church body who have been through it with this topic. Many here have been divorced or might even be pondering it right now. Please know that God still loves you and wants you in this family. You are not excluded from the donkey kingdom because of that. But whatever part you may have played or are playing or to whatever extent you contributed or are contributing to the issues in your marriage, even now we are called to the work of peace and reconciliation with our current or former spouses. To whatever extent we can, we must work for peace. And like I said, full peace and restoration with the other person may not be possible, but so far throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been re-emphasizing that it's all, to, it's all about the status of our hearts. So finding a way to make peace in our hearts, forgiving in our hearts, that's our call if we have found ourselves on the other side in recovery, we talk about keeping your side of the street clean. Uh, there are two sides to any street, right? And you're responsible for your side. If there was conflict of some sort between you and another person, your spouse or whatever, and the other person was a full 90% in the wrong, you are still responsible for your 10%. And so we work to keep our side of the street clean. And usually... From personal experience, whenever you work on your 10%, you usually find that it was more than 10%. Not always, but that's, that was me. So we're looking to have a right heart as kingdom citizens. And to whatever extent forgiveness and growth needs to happen, we need to work on that. Now, I want to talk about the next set of verses here because they connect. Verses 33 to 37 talk about oaths. Specifically, don't make them. <laughs> don't make oaths. Now Jesus, as far as we know, testified under oath 
or at the very least was put under oath at his trial. And we see oaths being taken in the Old Testament as well. So it's not that all oaths are bad in themselves. It's our integrity that matters. And, and it's who or what we're swearing by that matters. And as kingdom citizens, when we say yes or no, the implicit power behind our words is the backing of our Messiah. The ruler of our kingdom to whom we surrender. Verse 37 says that anything beyond a simple yes or no is from the evil one. Why is that so bad? I've heard some, I've heard some oaths, and sometimes they can sound pretty cool. Like when you say a really dramatic sounding oath. One of my favorite oaths was uh, in a movie by a character named Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. You know? I'm not going to give you the whole, the whole backstory, but at one point he says, I swear on the soul of my father, Domingo Montoya, you will reach the top alive. Oh, ooh. That's, that sounds cool, right? What's wrong with that? You know, swearing by the, the soul of his father, it sounds like Inigo's pretty serious here, right? Invoking the soul of his father. But what are we actually doing when we swear by something? We're saying that the thing we're swearing by is the standard for truth. Right? We're trying to convince someone that we're being truthful, that we'll stand by our words, so we swear by something that conveys the gold standard of truth. But Jesus is the way, the truth. And the life. When we swear by anything else, we're saying that that thing or person is the standard for truth, when in fact, it's Jesus. As citizens of his kingdom, our word is backed by our sovereign, by our ruler, by our king, by Jesus. So our yes and our no is backed by our king, and that should be enough for us and for anyone else. So that's one reason why this is such a big deal. Another reason for this uh, was people were swearing oaths for the smallest things. You know, swearing an oath was so commonplace at the time of this writing that it was starting to lose its meaning, and people were breaking them all the time. Right? And the oaths they were making, they didn't count for much either. Verse 36 talks about making an oath by something we can't control. Right? The hair color on our head. If we, if we, if we swear by... Uh, if what we swear by can change and we can't control it, like the color of the hairs on our head or even how much of it we have, then our word is worthless and so is our vow. So this teaching was also to limit, limit frivolous oaths or even outright false ones, right, where we would swear an oath knowing that we're just going to break it. As citizens of the donkey kingdom, our word is to be backed by our donkey Messiah. Now, I mean, these days, not many of us are swearing oaths unless we're on jury duty. You know, like I'm not hearing too many, I swear by the soul of my father, I will pick you up at 3.30. You know, like <laughs> we're not, we don't hear a lot of that these days. So chances are you're not going to be saying something like Inigo Montoya did. But the point here is that we should be people of our word. Right? And not just people of our, our word, but people of God's word. Honest, truthful, and without deceit. So how are these two sections related today? 
Well, guess what a marriage ultimately is? It's an oath. It's a covenant. It's, it's a commitment to God and to one another. And kingdom people make kingdom commitments. One thing that's interesting to note here in our passage is that not only are our co uh, commitments to yeses to be taken seriously, but so are our commitments to noes, which means we might be saying no sometimes. Being a kingdom citizen doesn't mean that you say yes to everything, a citizen in the kingdom. Uh, it might also mean that you need to say no sometimes. Boundaries are important as well. But regardless of your answer, we need to be people of integrity and really mean our commitments. Now, we can still change our minds on things, right? Like this, this doesn't mean that there's no room for growth, right? Or persuasion or, or changing of minds or, th or things like that. But it is about being earnest and honest with our words, meaning what we say, knowing that our God is our witness. And he wants us to be trustworthy people who don't take his backing lightly. Now, does this mean that no one will ever get a divorce again? <laughs> does this mean that we won't mess this up sometimes? No. None of us will get this perfect all the time. But that's still required. Perfection, remember? Perfection, perfect obedience is still the standard for entering into the donkey kingdom. But, but Jesus lived that perfection for us and gave it to us as a gift. Now, does that take the burden off of us to live truthful, honest, and committed lives? No, but it does mean that when we pursue the character of Jesus and are fighting to be people of honesty, integrity, and commitment, we have grace for the times when we fail. Thank you, God, for that grace. When you become a member here at Marsh Creek, you commit to certain things. You commit to being an active part of the body here, right? Engaging in life groups, serving and volunteering. You commit to striving toward the biblical standard of tithing as you give financially to the church. You commit to not engaging in gossip. You commit to adhering to the biblical standard of conflict resolution. You commit to prayer and time in scripture. These are things that as you sign up for membership, you're saying, I don't take these things lightly. I'm going to commit to these kingdom ways for the growth of his kingdom here. One of my favorite illustrations of what it means to be honest, what it means to be without deceit and staying committed to your word is the book Horton Hatches the Egg by Dr. Seuss. In this story, a very irresponsible bird lays an egg but doesn't want the responsibility of sitting on it to protect it until it hatches. So Horton the elephant promises he'll sit on it very gently so as not to break it, and he'll watch over it and protect it until she gets back. Well, she doesn't come back. And he's on there for about a year through all kinds of weather and adventures. And in the middle of the winter, and he's, he's sitting there so cold, 
He says, I'll stay on this egg and I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. I love that book. We are kingdom people who make kingdom commitments. Imagine the witness this could be. Have you ever thought um, about this kind of witness, about, about integrity, being an active witness to Christ in our world? People sometimes wonder, can I entrust my children to this place? Will this church pull the wool over my eyes while I'm here? Will this church handle offerings and gifts in responsible ways? Will I be treated as a person with value and respect here? Right, people ask these questions. Trust is a major issue for people not engaging with the church. They've seen too much hypocrisy, too many instances of abuse and deception. So if we can be kingdom people who make kingdom commitments, maybe we can start to reverse that trajectory for people. If we actually said what we meant, and if we actually meant what we said, and we kept our commitments, maybe we could stop obscuring the view of Christ for people, and they could instead start to see the Christ behind the Christian. 